0: Everybody wants to be an enterprise startup. Sing that song. Everybody wants to be an enterprise startup, SaaS <laughs> startup, and it ain't that easy. <laughs> and today, on episode number 120 of CXO Talk. Wow. Yeah. The
1: bronze anniversary or something like that. We
0: have the bronze anniversary edition. <laughs> I'm Michael Craigsman and my co host is Vala Offshore. Vala, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thanks, Michael. And today on the Bronze Anniversary Edition episode number 120, we are doing a lightning edition with Jason Lemkin and it is no exaggeration to say that Jason Lemkin is the most popular enterprise SaaS startup writer blogger on the face of the planet. That is true isn't it Jason?
1: At least I think it's true in Peturo Hill, where I am at the moment. I feel I feel good about that. But yes, yeah, we, we just we just crossed ten million views on Quora, which is fun, and uh, we're over a million a month overall. So at least we've got something that's pretty fun.
0: Okay, well, we're going to do what we call a lightning edition, and for the lightning edition, we're going to ask Jason a series of questions, and he is going to answer with short. Pithy answers.
1: Yep. Yes. Pithy, short and pithy are my middle name. It's a good. But (laughs) these questions, these are good
0: questions. These are the questions. Okay. Shall we get going? Please do. Okay, Vala,
2: you want to kick it off? Sure, Jason. Well, thanks for being on the show, and let's start with asking you, what is Saster? How do you pronounce it? Did I pronounce it correctly? And where did you come up with the name?
1: Boy, well, you, you, you do pronounce it Saster, that's right. I, I wanted to maintain the mystery and no longer share where the name comes from so you can invent it yourself. It has uh, apparently some, some meaning in Sanskrit. Some people think it's like a, a person that's into SAS. Some people think it's just misspelling. But I will tell you one thing it is better than the, the original title, which I never used, which is Catharsis. That was the original idea, was to share all my mistakes and learnings. For you, it would be cathartic. And so the original idea was Catharsats. And we have the URL, but I hope to never deploy it.
0: Jason, you are a managing director at Storm Ventures. What yes. is a managing director of a VC firm?
1: It's a good question to help founders. So a managing director really means partner. Um, and it's confusing these days because, especially in bigger firms, there's been a lot of title inflation and sometimes everyone is is a partner uh, and if you want to know who can actually write a check in a venture firm, usually look for not just partner but general partner or managing director, those actually usually are legal distinctions that, that really mean you can write a check to a founder uh, without getting a lot of permission from the other folks there.
2: Jason, what are the characteristics you look for when investing?
1: You know I've boiled it down to just two and a half. Because there's just so many great startups these days, or at least there's so many good startups. There's never that many great, but there's so many good. So I just look for two and a half things, and because I've been a SaaS founder myself, I'm a little different, a little quirky. I look for founders that are better than me, adjusted for time. They don't know as much as you know I do or we do, but adjusted for time, they're better than me. I look for better unit economics than I had. Because if you can sell something for $10,000 a year for the same amount of work as $1,000, it's just 10 times easier. And then I look for something that's vaguely in a good space. Now, what's a good space changes these days, but you do want to ideally have something where someone else can also write a check uh, down the road. So great founders, um, better than average unit economics, and at least a space that in a year or two may be interesting.
0: What are the main challenges that enterprise SaaS startup?
1: I think we had a little slowdown on the hangout, but if you can hear me out, I think I'll still answer it. Um, can you guys hear me? Okay. Yes, I can.
0: We can um, hear you, but your your video has died.
1: That could. Can you hear me now? I can yep. see you. Okay. Okay. So what are the main challenges that that startups face? Uh, it's a broad question. But I'll throw out the, the one meta learning. So, what we see today is the very best SaaS startups grow faster than ever. The, the Slacks, the Zenefits, the Talk Desks. These are folks that can do go from 1 to 10, 1 to 15, 1 to 20 million in the case of Zenefits in 12 months, right? That's a that's a breathtaking pace. So, so the best ones grow faster than ever, but the flip side of that is that product market fit is harder than ever. So, a, a great idea, they used to be a dime a dozen, now I think they're like a penny a dozen. Right? And so product market fit is actually more elusive than ever when there's a hundred billion folks doing every SaaS idea instead of just five or ten.
0: Jason, Jason, what are the phases that a startup goes through?
1: Wow. Uh, you know, everyone has a little bit different views, but I, I will break it up into maybe three or four phases. The first one I call getting ten unaffiliated customers, getting ten folks who aren't your old friends, your ex-boss someone down the hallway, to actually pay money, pay money for your product, because then you know you actually have something. right? I'm not interested in viable products. I'm interested in sellable products, as everyone who does enterprises. So phase one is 10 unaffiliated customers. It's We called it beer money. It's never enough money to, to pay your engineers or pay anything, but at least it shows you should never quit and you have something. Um, the next phase, and it's a long gap, is what I call initial traction. It's usually around a million AR, a million in revenues, that's when the engine starts to come together, right? You don't have enough leads, you don't have enough customers, but you pretty much know every month you're probably going to have more customers than last month, more revenue coming in. And This is really the right time to build out a lot of your management team, VP of sales, VP of marketing around that, so initial traction. And then there's this long slug to what I call initial scale, around 10 million, plus or minus. And at 10 million revenue the brand starts to come together. And you start to have enough revenue and enough fat that you can have redundancy. You can have directors and senior directors and extra engineers. And so the real lesson is if you get to a million, whatever you do, hold out to 10 million. (laughs) Because it gets easier when there's fat on the system and it gets easier when you have a brand.
2: Jason, when should a founder kill the idea because it's not working?
1: Yeah, I have pretty controversial views here. I don't feel that... You should ever kill something once you have those ten unaffiliated customers. Once you have ten people that you've never met or heard of that buy your product, even if it's just for twenty bucks a month. Okay, twenty bucks a month times ten customers, two hundred dollars a month. Like that's not making anybody into the next Elon Musk or Mark Benioff. Um, but if this is your passion and you're dedicated, if you if you can get ten, do you think there's any chance you can't get twenty? Of course you can, right? Of course you can. And I can tell you, there's almost a hundred percent chance you can get a hundred. And there is more than a 1% chance you can get 1,000 when you get 10. So I think in SaaS people quit too early, they kill things too early. Now if you never get 10 unaffiliated customers after whatever, 6 months, 12 months, 18 months, 180 months, however long, however much patience you have at WeWork, um, then kill it. But don't kill it at 10 because product market fit is harder than ever.
0: When a company is going through the startup phase, the initial phase. What are some of the main challenges?
1: In, in SaaS I think what people don't appreciate if they haven't done it before is how cross-functional it is. So if you're doing B2C, you need to build something that's cool and you need to somehow get a viral loop going to get more users. The challenge in SaaS is in the early days you need everything, you need sales, you need marketing, you need customer success, you need support, you need DevOps as well as engineering and how the heck can you do that with guys? right, it's impossible. So somehow you have to find a way to probably do three to four more functions including sales than you ever thought you'd have to do.
0: When a company is going through the ramp up phase, yes. what are the main challenges that they face?
1: The main challenge in that sort of 1 to 10 phase from initial traction to initial scale is there aren't enough people. Every single founder that I meet that's in that 3 to 4 to 5 million uh, revenue ARR range is just like dying. <laughs> They're dying because what ends up happening in that range from 1 to 10 is you end up having a new problem. You have more customers than you can service. Up to 1 million in revenue, you never have more customers. Like you'll always you'll always do whatever it takes to make your top customers happy. As you get to 3, 4, 5 million, but you only have 20, 30, 40 people in your company, there simply aren't enough people to take care of all your customers and you just you just from feature gaps to customer success, you're just buried. You're just buried.
0: And the main challenge is in the expansion phase. And maybe tell us what the expansion phase is as well.
1: Yeah, the main challenge I think from sort of getting from 8 to 10 run rate to the next level, 20, 30, 40, and I'm not going to talk beyond that phase. I'll let, I'll let others talk about the pre-IPO phase. The main challenge people have is they don't build a strong enough management team. So once you get to 8 to 10 million, as founders as CEOs, you should not be managing anything directly. You've got to not, no longer be a micromanager in any way, shape, or form. You need VPs in every function, and they need to be real VPs, not fake VPs, um, and they need to be running things, and they need to know how to do everything, and they need all
0: your VPs
1: need to know how to hire every single person that will get you from 8 or 10 million to 50 million and the biggest failing you can do as you come up to that initial scale that 8 to 10 million run rate is to not put the management team in place and then and then you'll just, you will just you're just losing time you're destroying that investment in your brand so once you have a few million in revenue always spend 20% of your time recruiting and as you get bigger do it for your vps
2: jason what's the difference between a real vp and a fake vp how can you tell the difference
1: yeah i mean we all And fake may not be fair. Um, What I mean by fake VP is once you get to 8 to 10 million, half of any VP's job is going to be recruiting and managing a team. If it's sales, it'll probably all be internal resources. If it's marketing, it may be a mix of external resources and internal resources, but it's a management game. And the problem often is, is we hire folks who are really smart, we want to believe in them, they're up and comers, but if they have no management experience, they often stumble really hard when it comes time to hire four, five, six, ten 10 people for the team. There are exceptions, um, but especially in sales I almost never see someone that can scale as a VP of sales that has never built at least a small team before. That I call a fake VP. Got it.
0: And what do you see as uh, great investment areas today? Boy, I, I
1: flip it around. I, I say, um, don't be, don't look at the past and don't be jaded, because in SaaS, uh, since everything is being SaaSified in a way it wasn't even a few years ago, things that a couple years ago would have been too niche or too small are not too niche or too small today. So actually, I have no prejudices. I, in fact, I what I don't want to do is invest in another CRM, EFA. I mean, ERP, um, HCM. I, I, I don't want any of those acronyms. Even though that's, as we know, on CXO talk, that's where all the money is, right? And, of course, they'll be great in ERM companies. But the real reason we all had to do CRM and ERP and HCM five, six years ago is nothing else was big enough, right? Um, Look at who's IPO, right? But today, the markets are 100 times bigger, so you can have vertical CRMs, and you'll have 100 things that actually are ERPs, but they're industry-specific, that all can do nine figures in revenue. So I actually don't, you know... uh, I have the opposite view which is have an open mind and watch things that may explode and just try to learn why because the world's different.
0: What are the characteristics of a great VC? This is a very important topic for entrepreneurs.
1: Boy it is, we can spend an hour on this. Um, Bear in mind that what a great VC means for founders is a little bit different than what it means for LPs or the people that invest in VCs. VC is a financial product. It's like a mutual fund, or it's just something that the VC's own investors select. And all the people that put money into VC funds care about is a number, results. What's your IRR? What's your what's your returned capital? That's all they care about, cash on cash returns. Um, what founders these days really want is a VC that was also a CEO and a founder, someone that can go through their journey. They all, they all really want that, but it turns out founders don't actually make the best VCs. The best VCs are just great pickers, um, and oftentimes they were never an entrepreneur even for five seconds.
2: What are the characteristics of successful entrepreneurs?
1: Well, you know, there's, so so it's interesting. I'd say let's break it up. Uh, there's two. What what is a success? Um, from a venture perspective, VCs can only make money off unicorns. So VCs only care about folks that are at least trying, at least they're giving it a shot to build something worth billions, which man, is hard. I didn't do it, right? I had nine and eight figure exits. I didn't have any 1000000000 dollars unicorn exit myself. It's hard. Um, but if you're a VC and even a modestly sized fund, $150 million fund, $150 million fund means you have to return $450 million back to your own investors. You can't only do that with unicorns, right? So, For a VC, you want founders that are simply insane and crazy, (laughs) because most founders, as soon as they get whether you you know we used to use this term "epu money," let's call it a lot of money, most founders that are sane, normal people living normal lives, they will sell. (laughs) And as a founder myself, more power to you, right? So if you're 500 startups or you're an angel or you're doing super early stuff, there's a broader definition. But for real, for bigger VCs. You have to invest in crazy, insane people with crazy, insane ideas to like turn empty rooms into their house into something that disrupts the hotel industry. I mean it sounded sounded crazy, but Airbnb's done okay, right, you have to invest in crazy people.
0: So this is a question about selling in the enterprise. How can an entrepreneur know who is their customer? Who is their customer in the enterprise, who is the actual buyer, how do you figure that out?
1: Sure, well if you don't know that you probably haven't done enterprise sales before and that's okay. The majority of SaaS startups, the founders have not done enterprise sales. Um, and you have basically two options and you're going to do both, it's not binary. One, try and connect with folks at as many levels on the org chart as you can. What's natural if you haven't done it before is to talk to a line manager, someone that might implement your product, right? But reach out to a CXO. We're on CxO talk. You may be surprised, right? In in the enterprise, a lot of innovation is driven from the CIO's office and the CXO's office. And they will take meetings with startups if it can have a profound impact on the company. So my number one bit of advice is challenge yourself and don't just sell at the level of the organization that's comfortable for you. Try at every level, from line manager to director to VP to C-level, and see if you can at least get a meeting at each. Because if you can get a meeting, just getting a meeting is hard, man. There's so many pro- There's a thousand SaaS products out there. Right? how? No one takes a meeting. If you just get a meeting, you can sell something eventually if you're tenacious. So, so do that, and then do your best, and then figure out over 12 months what organically works, and then hire a VP of sales that has experience selling to the fattest part of your existing customer ecosystem, to the to the portion that generates the most
2: revenue. When should a startup hire a salesperson?
1: Well, yeah, so let's break that up between a salesperson and a VP of sales. I think I think in an ideal world, um, you as the CEO or, or a co founder should close the first ten customers him or herself. At least the ideally at least the first five. But those ten unaffiliated customers, you got to go out and close them as soon as you. Because otherwise you don't know. You cannot hire even the most junior sales rep if you haven't done it before. That is a recipe for disaster. So close ten yourself, and then as soon as you're comfortable that you know how to do the next ten, hire two reps. Go out and hire two reps, and don't hire one because you've got to A/B test it, especially if you haven't done it before. So hire your first two reps at ten customers. And then hire your VP of sales if you can wait, once it's repeating, not necessarily repeating at the world's fastest rate, but every month it's repeating, and usually that's somewhere around a million in recurring revenues, it might, you could push it to 500k in revenues, maybe you defer it to 2 million, but don't hire the VP of sales before there, there's at least some engine going, because the job of the VP of sales is to make that engine run faster.
0: What is your advice for closing sales, enterprise sales of course.
1: Yes, well my number one of advice to founders is don't be discouraged because founders are naturally great middlers, um, almost all of them. Some of them, are, some of them are closers but most of them don't know how to do outbound, they don't know how to pick up the phone, they don't know how to generate a lead, and they actually aren't comfortable asking for the money at the end of the day. But they're great in the middle, they're great at doing the demo, explaining the value proposition, bonding with the customers, right, building out the business process change map, even managing change management, even though they don't even know what change management is these days. So, and what will happen is if you're a great middler, you can at least be a mediocre closer. So don't worry about the fact that you're not any good at closing sales, just be a middler, build relationships with customers as CEOs. Founders, I mean, Customers want to talk to founders and you'll close half as many as a real rep could but it's okay because you have to learn and then once you close the 10 get closers to help you learn how to close.
0: How do you build relationships with customers, with influencers, with the press?
1: Well those are almost three different questions. Um, turns out though, let's, let's just focus on customers first. Building relationships with customers turns out to be profoundly easy. Um, and what I mean by that is let's talk about those, those first 10 unaffiliated customers. Nobody's dumb out there. This is a mistake many founders make, especially the first time they meet with a C-level person, a CIO. They think that a, you know, Bob or Linda or Jerry will think we're some big startup. No, they know exactly who they're dealing with. They know that it's six guys south of the market in San Francisco um, with 11 customers. They know that. But they also know that they have to make a couple bets a year on things that can truly disrupt things that can add profound value in their company. So so when when you get that lead, so my advice is when you get that lead, take it as the CEO, as the founders. Talk to the customer. Don't be scared of talking to it. Don't outsource it to your sales rep that you hired too early. And be honest. Yes, we're ten folks. I have a vision that will just change the entire industry and I will do whatever it takes, Linda, my lead to make you a success. When they hear that I'll do whatever it takes as CEO to make you a success, one out of ten of those leads will take that risk because they need the help.
2: Jason, what makes a SaaS startup fundable?
1: You know, it depends. Of course, it depends on the stage. Um, so, and I think people, but but let's let's break up the sort of trite standard uh, two by two matrix. Right? There's 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 traction and team. Right? The best traction and team. Then you get slack doing around at you know 10 million an error 2.6 billion <laughs> right that's traction plus team you get you get Josh James at domo having already done on the chair raises an angel round at 600 million valuation okay so traction plus team has never had a higher premium than today the mistake that founders make is they don't realize that no team no traction is no check um, so don't ask if – you, if you're if you not proven and you have no customers in SaaS, do not ask VCs or even sophisticated angels for any money. It isn't going to happen. You have to have some sort of social proof on your team or something to make it happen. Um, and otherwise, just, just whoever will help you and, and knows you and take a bet on you, that's what you've got to go with, right? But remember, traction or team. And so if you're totally unproven – you can't even say you're part of the Salesforce Mafia, I hate the mafia term, but the Salesforce Mafia, the Google Mafia, the PayPal Mafia, you really have nothing to even make your Angelist profile look great, then you like you gotta go out and get 10K in MR.
0: Is it possible to build a SaaS startup without significant funding?
1: Absolutely. But almost certainly you have to focus on freemium and the low end of the business. Um, Uh, I actually, you know, the enterprise is ultimately the most profitable part of SaaS. Uh, If you can close seven and eight figure deals, those are inherently highly profitable. Um, But you need a sales force. You need to invest money. You need to pay six figure salaries. It's hard. So if you're going to do it without any capital or with minimal capital, it's almost always, you almost always come up from the bottom. It doesn't mean you don't have to stay freemium for life. You don't have to stay very small business or SMB for life. Box started off not as a freemium product, and now freemium is less than 1% of Box's revenue. So you can go up market. Um, But for most of us, it's almost impossible to go true enterprise um, without capital because we just need all the headcount.
2: What are the pros and cons of VC funded investments versus other sources?
1: Yeah, so don't ever take VC money unless it's clear it's the right source of funding for you. And what I mean is, in one case, if it's the only source of funding for you, it's the right source of funding. <laughs> right? So my first startup before EchoSign, I needed nine million to get it off the ground, right? And this was a decade ago. There was no Angelist. I had only one way to make it for nine million. I had to sell eighty percent of my company to do it. <laughs> but it wasn't there wasn't really an option today, people are like have more options, right? There's angels, there's angel lists, there's <clears throat> there's accelerators, there's syndicates, there's micro, micro VCs, there's ultra tiny VCs. And so, you know, VC naturally works well when you're trying to build a unicorn, something big, and you can deploy that capital efficiently. You'll know it, right? You'll know that, gosh, if I just dropped five or six million into my company and hire 20 sales reps, I could grow twice as fast next year. That's the math you should take the venture capital. Um, but it has a cost associated with it. Um, and if if you don't feel that in your gut that it will accelerate your business, that it's accretive, take venture capital only if it's accretive, or if you have no other choice.
0: What are the unique challenges that face enterprise startups?
1: The number one one is it, the cross functionality of it. And I know that's kind of a malpropism but cross-functionality. People don't get that just at a million in revenue or less, you need customer success, sales, marketing, support, sales engineers, solution architects, you need to pass security audits, you need DevOps, you need DR, you need ten times more stuff than you ever thought and that's the one that, that nobody plans for correctly and if you want to win you just have to suck it up and everyone's got to wear four hats.
2: How are the enterprise startups different from consumer startups?
1: Boy, that there, we could that that's a long list. Um, I I, you know, first of all, some people think they're more similar than they are if you if you think about premium. And to some extent, a premium product with no Salesforce, uh, an Atlassian, a Slack, uh, has many consumer like elements in it. Um, And uh, so I define enterprise, to me, as sales driven, um, to to keep it simple. And that's the main difference. You're going to have to learn, you're going to have to love sales to do enterprise. You're going to have to enjoy getting on jets. You're going to have to enjoy ringing the bell. You're going to have to enjoy hanging out with your sales team. You're going to have to enjoy sitting in your pit with your sales team, dealing with those daily dramas. If you don't want to get on a jet and you don't like hanging out with sales guys, um, don't do enterprise.
0: Here's a personal question. Yes. (laughs) What advice do you have for founders who want you to fund them?
1: Um, Well, I'm quirky. I'm I'm different. Um, the The best advice is send me the most detailed email you possibly can with a deck, with every single metric, and with why you're building something that's great just everything. Uh, I only meet with one founder a week max but I actually read and look at almost everything and uh, I I can process a lot offline because I've done it before so the the trick is not a punchy line and don't send me a hidden documents or a teaser. I don't do coffees. I've had plenty of coffee today. My third cup, I do not want a fourth cup of coffee today. Um, send me the world's most amazing email plus deck plus metrics plus everything. Tell me why it's insanely great. And if, if, if it is, even if I even if it's a totally cold email, I'll probably take the meeting.
2: Jason, you talk about metrics, specific to SaaS metrics. Yes. What are three Two, three, four, five metrics that that you want to see in the in this in this in this email to grab your attention.
1: Well, a lot of people actually, and I am clearly a SaaS guy. A lot of people care more about the metrics than I do. I've learned that a lot of them don't really matter in the early days. I don't really care what your customer acquisition cost is because if you have a good startup, it's always low in the early days, and then it gets high. I don't really care what your customer lifetime value is. You know, I already know what it is. If you have true enterprise customers, they're going to last like five to seven years. <laughs> if you sell to very small businesses on a credit card, they're going to churn out three to four percent a month. Like I know this like clockwork. I don't care what your cap is, I don't care what your customer lifetime value is, I don't care about any of these things. But one reason is, is I, can, I can distill it all just into two metrics. What's your top line growth and how much money are you burning? Then I know the whole story. So, I'm interested in startups that when they get to a million in revenue, and, and most of, almost all my investments have been before that stage, but I'm interested in ones that when they get to a million in revenue, they'll grow at least 15% month over month without hemorrhaging cash. And with, as long as the burn rate is tolerable, and you can grow 15% or more at a million in revenues, and you're great, great founders in a great space, probably I'm ready to write a check.
0: And the final question, which I think is a repeat, of the, I think you just said it, is what grabs your attention as an investor? Maybe just put a finer point on it.
1: Uh, Amazing founders, as we talked about, they're better than me and then the ability to go from 1 to 10 million in ARR in 5 quarters or less, that's what gets my attention. And beyond that, I'm not even sure I care what your SaaS product does. (laughs)
0: 1 to 10 million ARR in 5 quarters or less.
1: That's what the best ones do today. This isn't 2006, okay. This is the best ones do that. The, 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 the Slacks, the Zenifits, the talk desks, the Algolias, the other ones, they do it in 5 quarters or less. I didn't do it. Like no criticism to me if you, if you didn't do it because I didn't do it. But the best ones do it, they find a way and it's not just because the founders are better, the founders actually aren't better. The markets are bigger than when we all started this, right. They're all bigger. The percent of the CIO's budget that is going to SaaS is higher, right? And just a 1% transition of the CIO's budget to SaaS, that's a, how big's, guys, Mike, Michael, how big's the CIO's overall budget? I mean, we have different numbers. trillion dollars? Whatever it is, right? What's 1% of a trillion? Like, that's a, that's a lot of unicorns. <laughs> so that's why the best ones, if they hit it, if they just hit that product market fit and they have great teams, they'll just grow faster than... Then old people like me that get it in 05, 06, or 08, 09, like a Marketo, like these new ones grow faster.
0: Well, you have you have survived a CXO talk lightning edition.
1: <laughs> yes, I I haven't been shocked or burnt or uh, I've come through it safe and sound. There's
0: then no then then we have not done our job. Yeah. <laughs> but you did a great job. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks guys for the time. Thank you,
0: Jason. Talk to you soon. So you have been watching episode number one hundred and twenty of CXO Talk. The, as Jason says, the bronze, what was it? The bronze anniversary edition. edition. I don't
1: know which one it is, yeah.
0: <laughs> and we have been doing a lightning round with Jason Lemkin. And Jason, we're gonna get a whole lot of short videos out of this, so thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thanks for the time.
0: And Vala, I look forward to seeing you on Friday for our next show, which is with Graham Hackland, the CIO for Williams Martini Racing, F1 racing, and that's going to be interesting. That
2: is interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be fast.
0: <laughs> it's going to be fast. Everybody, thanks for watching, and please come Great. back I'm on Friday. on
2: that one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye bye.
2: Thanks.